0: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing.
1: Take it away, boys.
0: Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to our special holiday episode number 59 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on the last Sunday of 2014, December 28th. Well, the new year is upon us, people. 2015. Whether you're ready to leave this crappy year behind, or you're apprehensive about the big, adventurous new year ahead, or you're ready to tackle 2015 with the gusto of a North Korean dictator going after a cheeseburger, we hope you'll make this year a great one. And we hope you'll make one of your New Year's resolutions to listening to this old marketing. And give us a review, won't you? Simply go to iTunes and tell audiences what you think of our little show. We're ready for another 52 for 2015, so help us make that one day of your commute a little more fun, just a skosh snarkier, and perhaps a lot more ready to tackle the challenges of content marketing in your career. All right, let's move into our last show of 2014, and of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the New Year's Eve every day of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. I can't believe it. We've made it through another year. This is our I first know. our
1: first full year of this
0: old marketing. It's fantastic. I just so love that we are doing this even on the holidays. I it's what's interesting is I don't know if you're do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I listen to a few. Okay. I don't I don't listen to like tens of them. I listen I have like a dozen or half dozen rather. I'm
1: starting than to listen few. to more and what I realize is that
0: more and more of the regular podcasts take a couple weeks off. So. I hated that. When I when when I I hate that because you can't depend on it being there, and you're like, I also don't love the ones where they basically put together a clip show where it's all the stuff you've heard before. I hate that too.
1: You know, maybe we have an advantage because we actually keep doing the work, and everybody else is taking off. Maybe if they they're like, oh, there's nothing else to listen to. Let's listen to this. What's whole that? <laughs> uh,
0: what's that? Uh, is it that? Uh, God, I can't forget remember the 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 actor or the sports star who said this. It's like. You might be smarter, you might be faster, you might be, you know, able to play the game more, but you'll never work as hard as yeah. I do. Hey, showing <laughs> up is half the battle, right? There exactly. it is. You know, the one thing I Absolutely. did want to ask you,
1: have you listened to Serial, the the podcast?
0: I have not finished it yet, but I, 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 sadly, it's one of those things because it became so popular, I now know the story, so I didn't, it's already spoiled for me, but I, I did not listen to the whole thing. I got through two episodes and then got... You know, life got in the way, and yeah, I'm in, I'm on. I just finished episode two. I do not
1: know what happened, so don't tell me. So no, no, gonna, no, I'm not going to tell over the holiday. It's good. It's
0: fantastic. I'm trying to listen to the rest of it. Actually, really well put together. Oh, it's, um, I mean, the production. Those guys. I mean, the production that they do is just unbelievably. They're so talented at it. I mean, you know, it's all the this old, uh, this old this American. No, life. it's the, this American life, yeah. guys, and they're just so good at that documentary style. Um, with the music and the cutting away and they know how to do the dialogue. It's just fantastic. Well, have wonderful. you listened
1: to, to Andrew Davis's new show? Have you listened um, Claim Your Fame? Yeah, yeah. It's That's fantastic. what he tries to yeah, do. Yeah, I know. He it's, really it's wonderful t- the and, way and he I does it. I thought he it, yeah. did a really good job with his first. So anybody listening to that, check it out. It's called Claim Your Fame, and I think he did a great job with it. So I'm looking forward to to hear in the next episode of that one,
0: so absolutely. All right, absolutely.
1: do we do we have a, a any more? Well, news it's a slow week? news week, we my friend. Yes, it week? is
0: a slow news week. So we are going to do something fun and special here. We're going to do our annual predictions, um, and we're going to do a little bit of a twist on our predictions, which we'll talk about in just a bit. But we do have some news to talk about this week. First, before we get to that, um, so let's get to that. So our first article and first news item that we want to cover on the show is. Ten years of podcasting, fighting human nature. Uh, this was a fascinating article that you actually sent over, um, written by on Medium dot com uh, by a guy Matthew Huy, who I've known for a while because he was the Metafilter guy. He was one of the original, or the original founder of Metafilter, um, and uh, and he's wrote this article about podcasting, and it was both a history of podcasting, which really walked through the history from uh, you know the early days of podcasting, watching and listening to Dave Weiner and Adam Curry and all of that. And then he gets into the sort of Achilles heels of podcasting and talking about the technology challenges, the sharing and social challenges, and actually has some really interesting suggestions about how to make podcasting Even better. What did you think about this?
1: I thought it was super interesting. I actually read it a couple times just to, because you know I'm a history buff. So I just appreciated the work that he had to go through to get podcasts back in the early 2000s. I never, because I just started listening to podcasts a couple years ago. So I didn't know if you really (laughs) wanted to listen, how hard it would have to be. Oh, it was really hard. And he he shows the picture of the hookup he had in his car and how he had to get it. I'm like, wow, you really had to work for it. And that's. I guess that's the one thing that is interesting because he talks about this second revolution of podcasts and why is that happening and really it's because technology is catching up. So that's now right. we can actually easily, more easily access podcasts. But then I just didn't realize. I mean, we we talked about that on the show, but I didn't realize it's still a chore compared to everything else. That from a video standpoint, from a sharing standpoint, uh, from a you know, I want to take this clip out i mean even you you i mean you see the youtube mashups that are all over the place you don't see that from a podcasting standpoint it, it's it's like it for some reason we think about audio audio is much different from a shareability standpoint and that's why he says he thinks there's a lot uh more legs to this run a podcast if we can figure out how to shorten that sharing gap i don't know what do you think
0: yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I have been listening to podcasts since. I mean, I can remember even before the iPod. Um, I remember, you know, loading up my La uh, you know, uh, MP3 player, which was this giant brick of a thing. And I would, you know, I would connect into uh, all these audio files and and, and pull them down. And and then when iTunes came along, I was trying to connect it into iTunes and it didn't really work and it was really hard and it took a long time because your bandwidth was limited and it was was really, really difficult. And the interesting thing to me is it's still not that much, I mean, I agree with him, it's not that much easier, right? It has become somewhat easier with the actual mobile app on the iPhone and, and some of those things, but... I'm not, you know, some of those things like, you know, subscriptions, I just want them to happen in the background. Well, that's, I think that's it, right? You know? Yeah. So here's
1: the, I mean, if you're, let's just look at Facebook, right? If you're on Facebook, it's a seamless experience from your mobile to your desktop. It looks different, but basically they talk to each other. You can do things, it's the same thing. Why can't we have that with podcasts? Why can't I be on the desktop and I see it? Or see subscriptions, a right? Yeah, I want to subscribe and I'm subscribed and it's automatically subscribed to whatever device I have. And maybe that's just because iTunes <laughs> cut out everybody else and you had to just use their thing. Right. Right. Which yeah, I think is I mean, that's why I like Stitcher. And yep, because yep. that's sort of what it's trying. And and I don't know. I think that from what I've used SoundCloud. And if you use SoundCloud.
0: I use SoundCloud to put up my own music, the music that I play. So I I have a a little channel there. There seems to be
1: a lot of podcasters going to – I mean, even we talked with Pamela Muldoon, who's our podcast director. And I've been telling her I want to get this show on SoundCloud because I think there's an audience there and people use it differently. And I think they can use it more too. You can subscribe on your SoundCloud app or uh, or listen to it on the desktop and have that seamless experience, which I
0: think is important. Right, because it's a streaming experience. It's not a you know, it's not a download. Yes, experience. exactly. Yeah, 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 and then he goes through a couple of others here as well, which I think are 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 really good. One of them is he actually has a technology solution for the subscriptions thing. Um, but you know, some of the other ones that I thought were were really good were the transcriptions. I thought the the idea of transcribing uh, podcasts and making them available uh, as 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 transcriptions were also a really interesting. Uh, suggestion here well
1: and the other suggestion was that should have a show page and all the show notes and of course
0: how well we do we, do? we have we do we, have do we do? <clears throat> yeah yeah this is a little bit yeah, of course <laughs> yeah we have our own website too we have which is also something he suggests which we 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 have it and i would and, like the, to do
1: the transcriptions though i mean and we've yeah. talked about it i don't know everybody why don't you let us know is it would it be helpful to have transcriptions because if it is we'll test it out And see if it is. So anybody who wants it, just tag this old marketing let us know. But the the one thing that I thought, you know, they show that he shows the picture, which I think is really amazing of everybody sitting around the radio. Right. And that's where I think hit me the hardest with the fact that we talk about how personal podcasts are because it's just you for the most part. And and what's interesting, he says he can count on the number, uh, you know, number of times on his fingers that he's listened to a podcast with other people. Right this is, it just yep. doesn't happen. It's the same way for me i I almost feel weird if I'm you know the other day I was listening to a serial and my wife walks in and I'm like almost like she caught me doing something wrong. like'm this is my podcast <laughs> I don't I'm not listening to this with somebody else but we used to do that as a family, right? I mean, not me not you, but uh, right, ancestry. But we don't do that anymore.
0: You think that yeah, could I that guess. come well, back? Well, I, I, oh, you know, look, I, I think audio generally, and this is, I mean, we get into sort of a philosophical discussion here. But, I, you know, I think audio is a, pers- a more personal uh, a, a medium than others and is is inherently less social. Yeah. Um. You know, be- unless it's a live performance, in which case it is a purely social thing, right? So... And that's the real difference, you know, because I can remember as a kid sitting, putting on my headphones, putting on my Boston record or 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 Foreigner or the cars or, you know, and sitting and listening to the entire album, you know, sitting Indian legged on my on next to my bed and just listening to the entire album by myself, which was, you know, and then running to my friends and talking about the music and all that kind of thing. But then going to concerts and having that social experience. So I'm not sure that that's a problem necessarily. I think it's a very intimate, audio can be a very intimate way to connect with audiences on a one-to-one basis that you don't often have. You know, it's very, you know, we've experienced this, right, where when we go and do the podcast at, you know, Content Marketing World or Content Marketing World Sydney, it's a very different experience. Mm -hmm. You know, not better, not worse. It's just different because of the alive audience aspect to it. And I think that's the more social uh, part of this, not necess- I don't. I don't necessarily look at that as a problem. I think really the reason that people sat around the radio was because that's all there that's was. What
1: the, that's what they're. But I, yeah. g- I guess the thing. I'm just thinking about the shareability of it because even if you look at the most famous songs of their time, whether it was uh, you know a Miley Cyrus thing or a Psy
0: thing or a Bieber tune, they were always. <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> now that's an interesting list of that. We went from foreigner, the cars in Boston, to Bieber, sigh, and who
1: else did you just say? Miley Cyrus, man. Oh,
0: Miley Cyrus. But All when right.
1: you, but when it's shared, let's just. Now say, you know
0: what's on his, his on his uh, iPod, hey, folks. Let's not go there. That's too deep. <laughs> but if
1: you if you think about the shareability of it, it's almost always shared from YouTube. You don't right, share exactly. the, just the audio. That's right. You share the video. That's so right. So I'm trying to think of just. That's where I think it's missing is is the shareability of it. People, don't, that's why I'm fascinated with Serial, because I've never seen something be, being talked about so much and shared in audio format. Right. So I don't know. Maybe that's because you can say, "Hey, I'm listening to Serial. It's fantastic." On Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but you're not sharing anything. You're not sh- like if I would share if I would share my favorite Bieber tune. And I'd share it in, in a YouTube clip. I'd share a clip. I'd share, right? the, I'd share the song on YouTube. But you don't do that in podcasts. I think that's the the issue. I think that
0: something can be done. There's something that there. Well, he talks about that, right? He talks about how there's there should be technology like the GIF YouTube uh, app that allows you to sort of cut and paste segments of a YouTube video and make an animated GIF out of it. He talks about that there should be – some app or technology that should be easy enough to do that lets us highlight and segment a piece of the show and then share just that 15 second clip or that fifth, you yeah. know that 30 second clip or something like that. I think that's an interesting idea. I'm again, I come back to the, you know, most podcasts. Let's be honest, tend to be you know uh, talking heads, right? And and so it tends to be more conversational in nature and maybe less, uh, you know less appropriate for sort of clip sharing. But, uh, you know, to his point, I think it would be a really interesting thing to see if people actually would share those little audio, but like, this is my favorite little snippet from this, you know, from this old marketing. Here's 30 seconds at the point that they were really making that I loved, right? Yeah. here, Here's 58 episodes and I found 30 <laughs> seconds I liked. Right? Exactly. <laughs> here it is. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we've had some reviews yeah, like but, that. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, you, I think
1: what I love about the article and it's worth reading everyone listening listening to this is there's still so much potential here. That's what I got out of it. Yeah, we barely hit the we've, we've hit our second revolution of podcasts. We'll be barely scratch the surface of what's possible, I think for brands and, and audio marketing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Our next news item is The Inadvertent Algorithmic Cruelty, which I I have to love that title, even though the the post is actually a little sad. Um, This is a really fascinating article that has gone a little bit viral as we record this show. And uh, it's written by uh, a guy by the name of Eric Meyer, who is a writer and web designer. He's actually written some books that I've read on cascading style sheets back in the day, CSS for all you web head geeks out there. And other content and web standardization things like browser incompatibility. He's basically a web guy. And he writes a blog, of course, and he actually wrote this post last week um, about, if you haven't, you know, you must have been under a rock if you haven't seen this, everybody's posting their Facebook year in review, which is a little app that Facebook put out and has encouraged everybody to sort of take a look at your year in review, which looks at algorithmically your most popular posts, Um, the most liked posts and photos, and then puts them together in, in a sort of linear fashion to say, this is basically what you did last year. And he actually had a really bad year because he lost someone. Someone died that was very, very dear to him. And his grief, of course, and posting that to Facebook was his most popular post. And so his year in review was basically a review of how he lost this person. And the title of it, of course, which they've also also algorithmically put in, is "What a great year it was." Yeah. And he basically goes into how the coders, the technology people, by relying on the algorithm too much, have really lost a lot of the humanity here. And this, this, of course, has gone very, very viral at this point. A lot of people have covered this, and and he's actually written a post today which responds to that, which we'll get to in just a second. But what did you what did you think about
1: this? Well, I just. I looked at mine and I was like not a very impressive year. I'm not sharing this. <laughs> just, yeah. Just I didn't I didn't like the the stuff it pulled anyways. I wasn't going to share it cuz I normally don't uh, share those kinds of things anyways, but um, I is as, as soon as the article started coming out, you could see that this was going to be a big problem and it goes back right. to the same issue that it's always been. If it's if it's a computer that's doing the curating, it's not perfect, and right. it will never ever be perfect, and that's why it's a big issue for all of us because we always thought you know we we thought that was the savior of social media. oh, it can we can have this all automated, well, not yep. so much, right? So this just doesn't happen, I guess, and there's is, an
0: entire category called marketing automation, so, and I'll get to that in a minute, <laughs> yeah, right? exactly, yeah. but
1: here's the issue with this particular case. they could have done there's nothing wrong with what they did. Uh, except, Absolutely. except, for the fact that, and, and Eric and, and, uh, he makes this review in the, in the blog post, which I think is great. He said, they could have said, would you like us to show you what your year looked like? Like, right. Go ahead. Opt in, opt into it. Yeah. And here's the difference because this is not a new idea because Intel did it. Was it two years ago or three years yeah, ago? They exactly. did their museum of Intel. moments.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So they did this, and it, but that was an opt-in. Hey, do you want to do it? Go ahead, put in your Facebook address. We'll go ahead and show you, and then you can share it if you want. And then it was your choice, and I think that was much different instead of this one. and said, here it is. We've already put it together for you. Like it or not, bam. Right. And, and, of course, right. as you said, not everyone had a great year.
0: That's right. That's right. Or, you know, or they or they had a great year, but the most popular things in their year were a divorce or a, you know, a, a, a death in the family yeah. or something I like that. I had
1: 363 right? amazing days and
0: you picked exactly. out the three that were horrible. Well, exactly, because they were, quote unquote, the most popular. I mean, this is... You know, this was actually going to be my you know before we started talking about it through email about for the show. This was actually going to be my rant or my rave this week because, to me, it's a it's a it's a lesson in the inhumanity of the algorithm and and the algorithm as market. The takeaway for me as a marketer here is just yet again the reliance on the algorithm to give us you know what it, what it gives us in efficiency, it takes away in interpretation and empathy. Right, you know from. Everything, right? We've 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 seen it happen with advertising. You know where you see the algorithmic advertising, where a you know a a, a trip for a vacation on an on an airline appears right next to a news piece that's about an airline crash. Exactly. Or you know your AdSense. You put AdSense in your publishing website, and you start getting. You know, you write the article about you know I don't know leather leather you know uh, jackets, and you start getting. Uh, ads for you know other types of leather goods, um, you know, and or things like Outbrain and Taboola, where semantically those the content that you see at the bottom of articles now, you're like, what? Why is there a girl in a bikini related to the G8 summit? You know, I'm not I'm not really getting that. You know, as we start to try and scale content, our tendency as marketers is to want to rely more and more on automation and algorithms to deliver content. And as we get better at content and more diverse. With content marketing, it's going to be a tricky, tricky thing, and we need to really, really careful about where we rely on the algorithm to deliver contextual, relatable content to our audiences, and where we do it by hand. Because this is a this is a great example of how the best intentions can end up delivering really, you know, <laughs> results that you don't want.
1: Well, even in content curation, which we've, you and I have both uh, had our fair share of the different tools that are out there. It comes to a point where you can have it automate the process so you can see the types of news that you want to see, Depending, so you can make a decision. Do I want to curate this? Do I want to write something? And it can even pre-populate uh, an edited version of here's the abstract. But at the end of the day, every one of those tool companies will tell you, you need a human being sure. to, that knows the industry a little bit to then put their mark on it, approve it or not approve it, or then edit the abstract. And that's the critical process. So I think that's what, the same thing with marketing automation. I don't know what your take is on that, but that's, you need human beings in that process. It can get you so far, which is fantastic. It can cut a lot of that human time out. But at the end of the day, we we can't, there's not a way that I know of to do 100% automation.
0: No. And there and, and and maybe nor there should there be. be. Nor, yeah. nor should there be. Right. It shouldn't be market. Eh, you know, we get into the whole marketing art and science thing. But but, you know, and it's definitely a balance here. But but, you know, I, I've watched. So, I mean, just a really simple example of this is I've watched, you know, uh, the a, a marketing team will put out a blog where along the right hand side, they'll have the most popular articles. And the most popular articles are not the most popular articles. They are the articles that are the most clicked on or read. And that one is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have the most popular articles in your right-hand rail, is it, they're going to be the ones that are most clicked on, and therefore they, they rarely move out. But even more than that, you don't, that they don't indicate popularity. They indicate re, you know, how many times they were read. In other words, if you have an article that goes viral in a bad way, like, look at this idiot and what they have written... That's going to be your most popular article. So relying on that as, as a means of saying this is what's resonating with audiences is not always going to work out for you. And, well, that's the, you, and you've always said that when you do the master classes, you always talk about the Facebook like. Right. As, you have to go like on a brand to go hate it. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's yeah, like, look, our know.
1: likes are doing great. Well, because we're getting all
0: this <laughs> right, all these because, hate comments. Because people are protesting us in the streets, yeah, exactly. But our likes are up by twenty five percent. Yay! You know what's the last
1: thing that I wanted to say on this whole Facebook thing is they've, I mean, received. You know, I mean, people are still doing it, so there's the positive. There, the negative is is that people are really, you know, talking about it negatively. A lot more articles are coming out the past couple of days, but it's still at the top. Every time I go into the mobile, it's still there. I yeah, mean, they,
0: they're they're not getting rid of it. No, well, I think, and, you know, he and Eric actually then has written a post today, literally breaking today, um, as we record this, where he actually writes a post and says, look, I understand, I did not mean to bring the weight of the internet down on Facebook and the coders there. He said, you know, they made it, you know, maybe they made a mistake, but they didn't mean to make my, you know, make make my, you know, experience here a really bad one, and they actually called and apologized and, and all of that, and... So he actually goes to great lengths to say that, look, this is not this is not just Facebook here. You know, there are many examples of this, and he actually goes through a couple of other social media app examples that did basically the same thing. And uh, the the key here is is that, you know, if you're Facebook here, you know, you look at it and you go, maybe they thought about this, maybe they didn't, but they but they at some point they they have to look at it and go, you know what, this is a this is such an outlier. Example here, you know, is it worth us killing this entire program just I think because they of thought, this? They, they, they absolutely thought about it. There's no yeah. way that they didn't yeah, because you're there's been right. so many examples right. of this before. They thought about it and they said eh, it's still worth doing. The Let's opt-in do thing, though, to, to me is is something that just continually seems to dog Facebook, and I don't understand why they don't learn their lesson there. You know, the the whole opt-in versus opt-out idea seems to me to be something that is You know what's interesting?
1: Just, yeah, I mean, here's the first so so us, you and I, so-called experts in this industry, we always talk about opt-in. But yet, Facebook has continually not gone that direction and they are continually successful.
0: Yeah? No, that's a great I mean, well look, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where you get to a certain size and I think you know, you can basically say this is the way we do it. You know, and, and that's
1: and you know what? That's in almost in their code. We're going to do whatever we think is the best thing to do and right. forget what anybody else thinks. And <laughs> their right. stock is at an all time high. They're they're I mean they're doing fantastic. Uh, I mean, people are looking at them versus Google in a lot of cases. That Facebook now has the upper hand. I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but. <laughs> But maybe maybe. (laughs) (laughs) we should just do a Louis C.K. show. We should just do a Louis C.K. Because I think a lot of because we do that. But of course, but maybe thing. And I don't yeah. know if a lot of people know the reference to that. That's a Louis if you C.K. Go up, yeah, folks, you if you go out – yeah,
0: yeah, you go, go search for Louis C.K. Again, not safe for work, folks, and not safe for the kiddos. This is something that you want to do on your own time. But it's, it's a wonderful piece. Shall we move on let's, to the next – Let's move uh, on, you guys. All right. So anyway, so <laughs> – well, it is now time to talk about our predictions here. And we're going to do so in the context of there is one, I mean, <laughs> there's one, There's there are 1,400,000 million articles that are predicting the future. Um, this is that time of year when this happens. Um, but one caught our eye this week, and it was 10 ways content will change in 2015. And we thought we'd use that as sort of a, a teeing off point, if we will, um, uh, on some of our own predictions that we'll make. So First of all, was there anything in this article – this comes from Forbes, by the way, where um, they go through a number of predictions about content marketing and content specifically um, about how it will change in the coming year. And was there anything here that sort of stood out to you at all in in terms of – or surprised you at all?
1: here's what stood out to me, and we'll we'll talk about this. And I guess you just need to take all these with a grain of salt because I think you could have listed every one of these last year. Or the year before. Right. Well, I
0: think that's the case it's with just, we're so many so of slow. the predictions, yeah. yeah.
1: I think you and I talked about this a couple issues ago, or a couple episodes ago where we are talking about predictions and how we think as, I don't know, optimists or just as human beings that things are going to change so much in 12 months, but really they don't change right. that fast. <laughs> that's right. So, I mean, mobile-friendly is a must is on here, and we've been talking about that forever, but you and I still know a number of sites that you bring them up on the smartphone, and they still – You still can't see anything. That's right. So they're still not mobile friendly. And then there's other one in here where I actually like, I like this one about narrative science will replace white papers where there'll be more stories instead of long form technical documents. But I absolutely don't believe that's going to happen because the white
0: paper industry will never stop. (laughs)
1: They'll never stop.
0: I also don't ever believe it's going to be called narrative science. I don't think that's that's true.
1: (laughs) You can't sell narrative science to any marketer. Well, the last
0: one, too, content campaign measurement, I'm not sure I understand that one at all. I'm not sure I understand his his prediction there. But, yeah, I mean, I do think measurements, you know, look, measurement is the top of the list for every content marketer and marketer out there but it ain't going to get solved in 2015. Mar- measurement is by the we're going to do this show in December of 2015 and we're still going to be talking about how it's hard to measure. Yep. Guaranteed.
1: Well, every year from now yeah. on. And, and that's always... Every year from now
0: on. Well, it, that's what measurement you... it, measurement will never be solved. That what... just just understand that. Measurement will never ever be solved.
1: Well, you say this I mean, you've said this many many times on the show where <clears> when they talk about advertising or marketing industry in general, it's just difficult to measure, and then people We've will get out and been been well, people on and Well, people will it. pontificate about content marketing is hard to measure. And you <clears throat> always say marketing is hard to measure.
0: Exactly, like We've content al- marketing is any <clears throat> different than any other marketing. It's That's right. Hard to measure exactly, I mean, look, we, marketers through the history of time, marketers have been bad at measuring. From John Wanamaker saying half my advertising is productive, I just don't know which half to today we've never been good at measurement and we never will you know if you understand half or more than half of what you're doing in marketing and you can understand the trends you're doing great (laughs) let's be you're doing awesome Reduce, you are world class. You are world class. Okay. If you have half of your, mar- if you understand where half or more of your budget is going, and understand the efficacy of your marketing efforts, you're you're doing great. <laughs> what well, should we of things. should we get? Yeah, into let's. Some of yeah, ours? why don't you start? Why don't you start with one uh, your your top one? Oh. Or, or, or or if you're or if you're working, I don't know if you're working backwards or not.
1: I'm gonna no. I'll I'll, I'll go. Uh, well, I'll go where the wind. Where the wind takes us, let's say.
0: Wow, um, there you go. Well,
1: we talked Where's about. Where's the wind the,
0: taking us, Joe? <laughs> we,
1: we had an example, uh, what maybe it was last episode, a couple episodes ago, about uh, HubSpot buying agency posts. Yeah. The blog. Yeah, yeah. And I really do think, and I've said this many times, but I really do think that brands will start to purchase, not necessarily other media companies, but I think you're going to see blogs get picked off. Because in talking with a lot of my blogger friends, um, they still love having a community. They love – blog, but a lot of them blog for speaking and consulting and books. They don't necessarily blog for that to be a media business model. And I think they'll get approached by a lot of companies that will purchase them, purchase their community. I think Uh, that's right. And I think that's going to happen. Now, I do think – There'll be media sites, media platforms that will be purchased by traditional brands like your Procter & Gamble's and your Microsoft's of the world. I think that's going to happen. I just think it, take, it takes a long time for those things. It, it's not that it takes a long time for, the, for M&A activity to happen in what I'm talking about. It's that we're not used to it. This is a different animal. We're we're much as marketers. We're it's much easier for us just to go out and build something. Oh, let's go get the people. Let's go hire the talent. Let's go put this in-house content marketing team together. Instead of saying, "Oh, that one over there looks pretty good," let's get yep. that. Yeah, and I think that will happen more, because, especially as it becomes harder to build and harder to put something together in certain niche industries. I think they'll say, "Well, this one already has a hundred thousand, you know, people in their community." Let's just go get that. So that's my first. Prediction over
0: the that's next a good one, that, and that's going to feed into one that I have a, a little later. I think that agrees. Uh, my first one is, I <clears> think, <throat> and, and and to our the, to the spirit of what we were just talking about, I'm not sure this is something I actually believe will happen in 2015, or if I'm just hopeful that it will happen in 2015. I do think the early adopters here will will start to to make this happen, which is the beginning of the disappearance of digital as a separation in marketing. You know, right? You know, for forever for the last 15 years marketing departments have really launched. There's the digital marketing guys and then there's the, I guess, regular marketing people, and there's a VP of digital marketing and a VP of I guess regular marketing and, and all of this this sort of separation between digital and other but there's no separation anymore, you know, regardless of title. You know, every marketing department is dealing with digital in some form or fashion. And I think I'm just starting to see in some of the really early adopting sort of forward-leaning companies. The idea of, you know what, let's join everybody together as I, as we restructure marketing in a more uh, content-centric, customer-centric, experiential uh, way to sort of create you know the customer experience from the top of the funnel all the way to the bottom of the funnel. This idea that we're all coming together for one purpose, which is to really serve and create value for the customer. And I'm starting to see the signs, and I think it'll sort of ramp up in 2015. This disappearance of digital as an adjective for for marketing—it's all digital now, so it's all part of marketing.
1: Do you really think that's going to happen? Do I don't
0: know. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm I hopeful, don't. right? I continue. You know, here's the, here's the thing that 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 discourages me on that, which is I see the big analyst firms like Forrester and Gartner talk about the importance of digital as part of your strategy. You know, that this continuing sort of segregation of digital as sort of this separate thing that needs to be addressed. And I guess for many companies, there's still a lot of companies that I don't see them, by the way. And we work with a lot of really large enterprises. They, they've all at this point recognized and taken some action to making digital a big piece of what they do. And by and digital is even a weird word, right? I mean, it's just what we're talking about here is how are you using Content across new mediums, right, such as mobile and such as desktop and such as iPads and and tablets and cars and other element. Digital is sort of a. It, it, we were talking last show about how cyberspace feels like this old antiquated term, <laughs> like to a me, Doctor digi- Who episode. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> digital feels a little like that to me too. It's like digital, you know. It's like when I think of digital, I think of the, you know, the. T-90 calculator that I used to have in math class in the elementary school. I don't – anyway, get off on a rant here. But I think we start to see it now. I don't know whether it actually comes true or not.
1: Well, the only thing that – we in the the past few shows, we've covered this idea of publishers becoming digital media companies. We talked about it the last show. I'm like, what what digital media companies – what media company isn't digital? Do you have to call them out as digital? And does it even matter? But you're right. I mean, you you made – I don't know if it was the last show, but you made the comment of you have the the digital – the VP of digital marketing and the VP of marketing. Yeah, do they, right. Do they work with each other? Is this right. the same and, company? And, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? And, it's like you, you know, can't and, touch – that's digital. You can't touch that. It's you're like, like where's over your in where, marketing yeah, which I guess is right. direct mail and
0: where right where's your VP of print marketing and where's your VP of you know TV marketing and your VP of – But we used of, to have you know, that right we don't any you're right it's going to happen it's didn't you have when
1: there's somebody that was just in charge of like TV you should know this, Hollywood. I do don't.
0: Know I, I don't rem- no. I don't ever <laughs> remember there being a VP of TV marketing. I do remember in 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 ad agencies there were there was a guy or a woman yeah. who was in charge of media buying for television. Um, who or you know, as television became sort of a you know, and you see this in Mad Men too, right? Where the one guy is in charge of uh, of of television as a as a new you know as a new, but that even became sort of an antiquated idea, right?
1: Well, here's another one, and this is a hope of mine. Um, I'm going to say that marketing-friendly book publishers will be on the rise. And what prompted this one, Robert, is I give a speech at Digital Book World in New York in January, and my talk there is going to be around this idea of helping the authors build platforms instead of just distributing their book. I believe that book distribution in and of itself is a commodity. If you just need to know how to distribute the book. You need to know how to get it. And a lot of people can do that today. So what are the benefits a publisher can give you when you can publish? Basically, people can self-publish themselves and get it on Amazon, use CreateSpace, use Lightning Source. What is the benefit of a book publisher today or what? let's say in the next few years? And I think that There's going to be some smart book publishers that will come in and say, look, we will help you actually market the book. Which, by the way, for those of you listening, book publishers don't market the book. They distribute the book. No book publisher will ever say they're going to help you market the book. You're responsible to market your own book, whether you're on the brand side or whether you're an individual, a blogger, celebrity, doesn't matter. So that's why book publishers basically, they interview you and make sure that you can actually market your book and they see what your uh, how many fans and followers and subscribers do you have and then they'll they'll come back to you with an offer based on that. I really think there's an opportunity there. I don't have the energy to do it.
0: I don't think we do. You know this company exists. There's a company that does this already and I won't I won't say their name. You can google them and find out, but there's a company who does this. I don't know it. Yeah, who is I, there is there is a company who do, they cuz and, and the only reason I know this is because they actually approached me. They actually said, you know, so and, and basically for and I'm making this number up, so don't quote me on it. But but basically it's it's thirty thousand dollars. What they will do is they will do everything for you. All you have to do is give them an outline and as much of the book as you want to write and what they then do is they take that and they hire professional writers and editors oh, yeah. to make it yeah. That's a, it a vanity yeah, that's exactly. So yes. And they and they but then this company will actually go out and market it and create a website and 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 create a marketing and you actually have to give them all of the revenue. You have to give them every single bit of the revenue.
1: Yes. So to your point, there are publishers out there that if you pay them to do it. Right. They oh will yeah, absolutely do oh, it. Oh, you
0: think you think this is actually going to come from sort of I companies think-
1: Yes. I want a traditional book publisher to invest. I
0: see what you're saying. I see and what here, you're saying.
1: Here, but here's the problem here. And I don't. Want is to this wishful,
0: this. I think this is wishful thinking. No, I don't part. think it's wishful. <laughs> no, it's not.
1: This is not my own personal frustrations <laughs> that I'm venting out in any way, shape, or form. There's any Joe is writing a new book, ladies and, any and gentlemen. Any like- likelihood to my present situation is, is purely <laughs> – it just, just happened to be there. No, I – I, really I want somebody who
0: will pay me a million dollars to go do, do stuff.
1: I have no idea what I was going to No, here's the <laughs> deal is most of the book publishers out there publish on a wide range of subjects. So they're all over the place. Like they don't just publish like a media company would. A media company is uh, like a traditional media company is very focused on a particular niche. Like when I worked at Penton, we had it was industrial manufacturing right. or it was. Um, organic foods and they were very focused on that but book publishers are different they're they're all over the place they're in all kinds and so it's hard for them to market a particular author because they don't have that content niche so that's where i think if this came from somewhere it would come from a media company like let's say there was a consumer enthusiast like f&w media is a good example they're a consumer enthusiast publisher they already have the audience that they could real and they do this Fair already. Yep. You could plug in books fairly easily, but they just they don't do the bookstore distribution, they don't do the other stuff. So I think this could come from the traditional trade media if they wanted to get into that industry. Put the the author becomes part of their platform. They give them more notoriety and then they sell the book as well, and it's a win-win for everybody.
0: That's a that's a great point. All so. right. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. This is yeah. Nothing yeah. to do with me personally, Robert. Let's remember <laughs> this. All right. My next one is, and this is sort of the anti-prediction, which is I do believe that next year will be the year of mobile, bum, bum, bum. And I think there's going to be a preoccupation with it. I think there's going to be so much noise about developing mobile and content on mobile and mobile experiences and mobile, mobile, mobile. I predict that other areas, such as we've discussed on this show before, like print, um, will be a huge opportunity to differentiate for brands. And my prediction is is that the really successful initiatives in 2015 will not be mobile. Mobile will have so much noise and so much sort of um, extraneous effort put toward it that the really cool, interesting, differentiating content experiences will not be mobile. They will be something else. I think that
1: you can take this one to the bank. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no... There, there is no doubt in my mind. Well, first of all, for your first part of this, that's been the last like ten years. Everybody's been talking mobile, so yes, of course it's going. <laughs> of course it's going to happen <laughs> next year. But the the idea that it's very hard to tell a story, an ongoing consistent story on a mobile device that people actually pay attention to, I yeah. think you're absolutely. It's got to be an audio form. It's got like like what Airbnb did with their Pineapple magazine launch. Right. I think right now I mean I don't know what the results are gonna be, but I think it's brilliant. Of yeah. course it's brilliant. I mean, yeah. if you wanna get somebody's attention and you wanna, you know, deliver it to them that they'll actually look at it, yeah, print's a pretty darn good way to do it and it's been that way for a long, long time. Uh now we've we just talked about the whole podcasting thing with audio. So is there something else? Is there, so we can talk print, is there audio, is there is there something else that you think is going to
0: yeah, I th- I, well look, I don't think the, I, I think there's there's been a sort of move away from the idea of desktop experiences, and I think that you know we'll see if that that continues that that trend. But I, I do believe that there's there's still opportunity there. But I actually see, you know whether it's through a Amazon style you know television series or Netflix or you know video or events, uh, you know, there are so many other ways to to create customer experiences that don't have to do with people staring into their, you know, in, into their mobile device that I think that the the really interesting ones will not be about that. I totally agree with that.
1: Take it to yeah. the bank. We have one. We have at least one that's going to be right. <laughs> it's going to be that one right
0: there. All right, what's your next one?
1: All right, my next one, and this has been happening already, so this is not a new prediction, but I really think that we're going to see more companies adopt, especially enterprise companies, is the idea of the rise of the employee as part of the marketing team. This is huge. Yeah. I think that as human resources are taking people in, they're already looking at, you know, what how are they uh, creating content already on the on the web, uh, how what are their social media? properties like? Are they blogging? Are they doing things? But then there's an a setting the expectation. And we already know this. There's some companies we work with that, that part of the employee agreement is that they need to be a marketer. Yep. They need to work with the marketing department to share their particular expertise. We know a number of engineering fo- focus companies that the engineers are required to work with marketing so that they can have stories to tell on the blog on an ongoing basis and to educate customers. So I think this will continue and I don't know when it's going to happen, Robert. I mean, we're probably years away, but I think that the idea someday, the idea is going to be that if you become an employee with any company, it's just a pure expectation that you need to help market. Yeah. And I don't think that was the case before. I think that's going to be the case, and I think we're going to see a real move in this area in 2015. I think that's
0: exactly right. I think that's another one you can take. Take to it the to bank, the bank. Take it to the bank. <laughs> Cash it in, put it in your <laughs> don't IRA. <have> to be- <laughs> I don't know why I just did that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're recording this it's on a, a Sunday, Sunday morning. morning. Yeah, I've got go. my second cup of coffee here in front of me. And, you know, All right. To I'm, going
0: to, I'm going to merge my last two. Um, uh, one for the sake of time and two because as I read them, they're, they're really related to each other. Okay. Um, which is, and, and this may be my, if, if any of them are at all bold, um, this might be the the boldest of all the predictions. I think 2015 is the end of the journey metaphor for customers and our need or our feel like we need to sort of fill every segment of it with content. Um, and what I mean by that is I think we've reached a tipping point now i mean to, to the to the sort of laughable extreme where i'm seeing I've seen some customer journeys of late, and I'm actually writing something on this that'll that'll be published in early next year, which is I've seen some customer journey maps you know and customer journey segments and and these kinds of things where quite literally there are thirty five different you know you know sort of waypoints on this customer journey. You know where, and it's mapping everything from their psychographic, you know, sort of experience and what they believe at this at this particular part of the journey. And it's just you look at it and go, really, are you going to fill that every single journey with content? There, you're going to create an experience for every single step along that. No, you're not going to. You're not going to do that. I think there's going to be, you know, the 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 customer does have a journey. The customer has a path, and it's never usually the same one twice. But I think this idea of the customer journey metaphor and our need to fill every single segment of it with relevant content is going to go away. And out of that comes a new, much simpler approach to creating content at really a, a value. Where do we need to create value for that customer? Is it in driving you know, them awareness of our approach? Is it really to help them understand why we're different? Is it really to create trust for loyalty? You know, those sort of core pieces of value that we can deliver to our customers is going to be a much simpler and more scalable quite frankly model
1: well i want that's a great thought which i have full confidence will not happen (laughs) Because, (laughs) because you and i both know that I'm gonna We're, make it happen. We I'm work with make marketers it that just want to be complex. <laughs> they have to take every well. It's an it's an interesting take because we talk about the funnel. Whatever your belief is, you know we have our hourglass funnel. You have all kinds of other funnels, yeah. Buyers' journeys, whatever, and they you know you feel oh we have to have content for every area, and. Yeah, you're right. I don't think you. I
0: don't you don't. Think, nobody because does. because you get overwhelmed,
1: and because right. you just don't, you can't follow the customer journey anymore. You're right.
0: That's right. You nobody does right, and you know, and we've all seen the squiggly line that's sort of, you know, it looks like a bird's nest, and it's like this is your customer's journey, you know. And we've seen that, you know, Andrew Davis makes fun of the funnel when he goes through his his really awesome presentation when he talks about sort of nonlinearity of the of of the, the customer journey. By the way,
1: his presentation where he comes to the He bought meatloaf tickets, and how he got to buying meatloaf tickets is is pure genius. It's because he he was talking about he. I think he was talking about making meatloaf. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. He was he was looking for recipes about making meatloaf, and then just by happen he saw a thing for meatloaf, and then he went to the concert.
0: It's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, it's like
1: does meatloaf the
0: uh, entertainer look at that and say, "I need to
1: target people that
0: are eating meatloaf." It's exactly right and, that, and and so as a as a marketer, as a brand marketer as a demand generation marketer, basically as someone who's in charge of selling more or creating more loyalty to our stuff, th- really the, the the best we can hope for and scale is creating an impactful experience at some at whatever stage they're in, right? And so, and this is where it sort of merges into my other prediction, which is this idea that, you know, we've seen the sort of number of channels and platforms that companies are creating just continually escalate over the last few years. And I think we've reached the pendulum penultimate part of that. I think we're going to start to see it swing back now where brands are going to start to converge on fewer. Platforms, in other words, fewer. You know, in other words, reduce the number of websites or blogs or content platforms they have to try and address all those customer segments, and rather make the few that they have more impactful. I like it. So yeah.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up with this one, and I want to get your take on it because the there was an article that was sent uh, from our good friend Mark Tennant. Uh, who is a Clevelander and a follower of the show, and he sent this article from, this is from Huffington Post Business, Uh, and Andy Betts wrote this, called The Economics of Content Marketing in 2015 Investment Tipping Point. And the reason why I'm talking about this, there's a section that I wanted to get your take on, which I think is absolutely true. But Andy talks about this uh, research project from The Economist Group, where executives and marketers' uh, ideas of, what content should do for the organization are very, very different. And he says, this is, this is the critical part. They're, they're so misaligned that if, the, unless these two groups come together, there's going to be a problem. And basically, my prediction is we are going to continue to see a problem in this area in 2015 where executives think that content should do one thing and marketers think it should be doing something else. Yeah. Because I think marketers are terrible at educating and communicating this back to the C level. Yeah. And we've always been this way, and we continue to show them, you know, Google, you talk about this all the time. Hey, here's a chart that goes up and to the right. It means we're doing well. Yeah, Leave me alone type of thing, which you right. can't get away with anymore. But I thought this was interesting. I wanted to get your take on it. So the Economist Group study says that executives judge content based on its notoriety and distinctiveness while marketers focus on commercial performance and sales. And because these are two, these two are so aligned, these groups aren't getting on the same page and we're going to continue to have problems looking at what the
0: return is of content in the organization. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. And I think, I think there's a couple of things that are, that are factoring into that. I think one is the sort of myopic focus by most C- CEOs, quite frankly, on short-term results. Um, and this is a this is something that I, is certainly not novel to, to us. And discussing this, this is something that's well a well worn discussion in in many of the business strategy um, circles that are that are that are talking about the sort of. St- Really myopic focus on short-term results and how that's that really discourages innovation. It discourages long-term focus on product development and marketing and development of the business. and And it's really really hard for entrenched businesses to get out of that sort of quarter by quarter focus. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, so that's one factor I think that that, that that's in there. The other is. Sort of, and we talked about it. Sort of the, the marketers' inability right now to convince um, their peers and the C suite that it's not an algorithm, that it's not a science, that it's not predictable, um, and that there are that there are things at work here in marketing that are as, by the way, simultaneously marketing's remit expands in other words it's not just feeding leads into the you know the shopping cart anymore marketing is now responsible for customer service and customer loyalty yep the more engaged customer the customer that will share the story across all the social you know social channels that we just don't have the capacity to be on and all those you know it basically customers and employees must be the scalability of our story and the way that it's shared across the the web and digital and and all those things and the C suite really really struggles to understand that and we're not very good marketers are not and i'm hopeful that we can help at least make some of those i mean that's really what we do i mean yep. we're you know the 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 consulting and advisory stuff that we do is all about you know ultimately making that case of why things are changing and what they're changing into um and that's the you know Goodness gracious, that's my behag, right? That's that's. I would love to be able to convince every CEO that marketing itself is changing. You know, it's not just content marketing is this new hip, groovy tactic. It's marketing is changing, and the business must change with it. I think that,
1: I think that if you know, to your point about simplification, this is where we can get we can simplify it on the fact that. What if we just showed the value
0: of having an audience? Yeah. Well that Oh my gosh, I'm just I'm writing on this as we speak right. I'm writing a right? white paper on this. This exact topic at the moment I'm writing a white paper. Well, this, this is what is media exactly.
1: This is what media companies do. This is what we do. We look yeah. at a subscriber and what the value is of one particular subscriber. You can do this. Any company can do this That's with exactly enough time right. and enough data. And we all have the data. We just need the time to put into it. And I think that's what I'd like to see. And that's, and of course, that's just, your focus, our focus. That's what we do. To build an audience. What is the value of that audience?
0: We can show that to the C level. It's, it's, I mean, when you look at, and I know I harp on this, but, but you look, but the reason I loved what Julie Fleischer is doing at Craft is not because of the content is so cool. And the content is cool that they create. And it's wonderful and it's sexy content and it's, you know, it's really well done, beautiful. All of that. The value that it creates for the business has nothing to do with lead generation or lead nurturing or SEO or anything like that. It's all about the data. She now has first party data on her customers, on Crafts customers, that no other company in the world has no research company, no. Data company, no credit card company, nothing. She's got first-party data that is differentiated. And that first-party data is valuable. It is differentiating for those brands that need that insight into what those and customers And it's telling do. it, well, it's guiding the future
1: of their company, which products they should be creating exactly. from an R&D standpoint, and which media they need to be buying, how they need to talk about, communicate with their customers outside of the content they create. I mean,
0: this is… That value is is critical, To the growth of the business, broadly speaking, not just from, you know, a cool SEO, awesome new way to engage customers and get more likes. No, that's value to the business, deep foundational value to the business. So as
1: we go and uh, we'll wrap this up because I know we want we don't
0: want to go too far over an hour here, which we're going to do. But uh, I
1: just want to I just want to let everyone know that we did not say anything about native advertising. And we did. Predictions.
0: Oh, how about that? Isn't that something? That's pretty awesome.
1: Hey, let me do the sponsor message. Yeah, and absolutely. Then we'll get on. Yeah. So, hey, we love our sponsors. Ding, hey. ding, ding. This whole marketing is sponsored by AcroLinks. Builds Acrolinx builds enterprise linguistic analyst, analytics software. Can't even say that. Say that. It helps brands times. intelligently translate and manage their content in multiple languages. If you work with a global audience and we're all global in one way or another, you probably need to look at this. And what I love about what Acrolinx is doing right now, they're promoting a new ebook called Speak with One Voice How to Gain Competitive. Competitive Advantage in the Content Era. It's a fantastic ebook. It's really
0: great. It's fantastic. Uh, would
1: you call this narrative science? I don't think <laughs> you would, <will>, Robert. <laughs> uh, I, we're just going to call it a helpful ebook that you should check out. and answers exactly. questions such as how you can make your content sa- stand out, how you need to speak with one voice to your customers and prospects. You need to check this thing out at bit.ly.com slash PNR acrolinks with an X and the number two. Pnr dash Acrolinks two, register for it there. It's free. They're going to ask you for your first name, last name, and email address. But I'll tell you what, it's completely worth it. We love the folks at Acrolinks, and thank you so much for sponsoring, especially of our end of the year shows here of this old marketing.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Acrolinks, and it is it really is a a, a fantastic. Uh, white paper narrative science and we're not really, just
1: saying right? that because they not paid us just to say it absolutely
0: no. 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 no absolutely not, all. not. absolutely nope. alright folks it is now time for your favorite part of the show our rants and rave sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that gives us a little bit of snarky narky or love 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 and uh, <laughs> this time I you've got this old marketing again uh, oh I, need, I know I'm helping I need you out catch up. you are helping me I'm out all, so you, yeah, you're I gonna know. go first This, and we've got two short ones i think yeah this is super
1: short i just wanted to call it out because in the spirit of your holiday commercials that you loved on last episode i saw this one from ikea it's the ikea christmas commercial we'll put it in the show notes uh but just put if you're looking for it on uh, on youtube just put ikea christmas commercial you'll find it out it's called um and this is from a story Uh, From WMZQ, actually, this is this IKEA Christmas commercial is a wake-up call for all parents. And I don't want to give the whole thing away, but you know what? I'm going to. Uh, Here's basically what (laughs) happens. They they took uh, a couple dozen kids, and they put them into a room and then say, write out what you want from the three kings, which I guess is kind of like Santa Claus. Um, So they said, hey, write what you want from the Three Kings, and and what do you want to have for Christmas, for the holiday? And they all wrote all the stuff that they wanted. And then they said, okay, do another one to your parents. And they had all kinds of problems with that one. And then they took both of them and gave it back to the parents and said, here's what your son or daughter wrote. And the Three Kings was all the stuff. Like, I want a video gaming system. I want Lego. I want all this other stuff. The one to the parents were things like, I, would, I want you to tickle me. I want you to spend time with me and have. I want to eat with you for dinner. I wish we had more time together as a family. Like, this is a tearjerker commercial. This is unbelievable. And this is the great part. They asked the kids, which one is more important to you? And almost to a T, the kids said, uh, forget the one to the three kings. I want the one to go to my parents. That's the Aww. one that's most important. So, you know, these are kids, and we talk about. All this commercialism, and this is really good for IKEA, right? Because basically they go back to say, like, "Make it, you know, make it your home, make it your home, and spend more time with there your kids you at home." And I just thought with it was a fantastic. really difficult instruction
0: would of how to put it together, of course. <laughs> but yeah, make it your home. Yeah, it's just it's a mess <laughs> on the floor, but you can yeah. play with it. What's your uh, what's your all rant, the, all the, the parts of your life laid out on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is a very short rant. Um, so this week, uh, in addition to the wonderful Facebook uh, sort of thing that went viral, um, a, a little another little thing went a little viral, which was uh, for all those who love uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is sort of a geek hero science guy. And he, uh, over the Christmas holiday, was tweeting out a few things. Um, And he was pointing out some of the things that aren't necessarily uh, Christian, as it were, as much as it was sort of important moments uh, on this particular day, December 25th. And one of the tweets was, you know, what do Muslims and Jews call December 25th? And the answer is Thursday. Um, And another tweet he had, you know, on this long day long ago, a child was born who by age 30 would transform the world. Happy birthday, Isaac Newton, born December twenty fifth, sixteen forty two. And he he had a series of these, and it, he just got like fire lit. I mean, it was all these people who were, you know, insulting him and saying, "How dare you?" and all this kind of. Stuff. And interestingly, to me, what the, the the rant I guess that I have here is not you know the fight because I I don't it doesn't matter what side you come down on on this thing. I just thought they were interesting. Tweets. And, you know, normally I would just say, you know, let's lighten up, you know, Francis, that sort of thing. But the, the, I guess the, the thing that annoyed me is the feel that the, some journalists have that they have to, that this is a story, that this is somehow, uh, that the, the, the discussion between Neil deGrasse Tyson and a few people that have, you know, four or five followers who are, calling him names and telling him to shut up nerd and you know and and they're basically little trolls who are who are who are, who are really just not really having a discussion with him about this but really just sort of you know lashing out that this is somehow a story and this is I guess where I you know sort of come back to some of the stuff we talked about last week and we've talked about this before which is why why are we why are we elevating this discussion through social media into something that is worth you know talking i mean if this happened at a bus station or if this happened in the in a theater or if this happened at a conversation at a uh, at a concert or something nobody would have, it would never nobody would care but because it happens in some place where we can copy and paste the text and the fight it's almost like we go fight 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 oh and let's all stand around and look and pick sides and figure out what we want to do and and to me, it's this sort of battle for clicks and, and, and eyeballs, and it's just sort of, I don't know, it just feels slimy to me.
1: I, this is where we're at, though. I mean, this I know is, did the same thing with the Sony hack, right? Yeah. It was like, this is what we thought Vanity, was it Vanity Fair? Said, this is what we think is newsworthy. Right. And I think that, I don't know if, I, I would imagine he expected this to happen. He's got an audience. Of course he did. Yeah, yeah, he expected this, and this is probably exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah, he
0: did not apologize, by the way. He basically said, you know, his tweet, his sort of tweet that summed the whole thing up was basically, uh, you know, imagine a world which we're all enlightened by objective truths rather than offended by them. And which is, you know, again, it's, you can take that as inflammatory, or you can just basically say, he's saying, you know what? We, I mean, we talked about this with the sugar string. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, you know what? This is what I'm going to say, so shut up if you don't like me, you know, And, and, and which is fine. Like yeah. him or don't like him. Fight with him over Twitter or don't fight with him over Twitter. I, I, I don't care. I guess I just don't understand why it has to become a thing, why it's a story, why this needs to be covered, And and I guess that's my that that's my rant anyway.
1: Yeah, we could name a lot of people that I don't know how it became a thing, but it just did. (laughs) (laughs) True enough, true that. Yeah, hey, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Yeah. All right, let me do uh, let me do this old marketing, and we'll get out of here. You know, this is um, this interesting example. A company called Telium, and it's not an old marketing example, but it is an older um, way to look at. Uh, maybe a more reminiscent way to look at how we can publish stories. So I received this uh, a book, which basically, if you can picture a little golden book, did you did you ever read? The oh, little of books course,
0: I read the little golden books.
1: So they our were friends' my favorite. Yeah, our friends at Telium. So I know Eric Bratt, and I've known him for a long time, and he's VP of Marketing Communications over at Telium. And I, I had the book. I did some research on it. Contently wrote an article on it. A really interesting Q and A that we'll put in the show notes as well. And they they told a story on you know marketing communications, and they it called it's actually called "Taming the Digital Marketing Beast," and it and it's a, uh, a colorful, uh, animated, uh, basically little golden book. And the way that they did it, and they have things like the signpost of chaos in this adventure book, Tag Mountain, the cloud oh, of confusion, cool. Data Lair, uh, and and i was trying to figure out how did they use this did they use it as a direct mail did it go no this is basically to give away at all the trade shows they went to they wanted something that could tell their story a complex story and make it meaningful and they actually said they wanted it so that you could that it would be simple enough that people could read to their kids but also understand the idea of data and the complex nature of data I don't know if this is going to work, but I thought it was super interesting. And what uh, what Eric said is in the Q&A here uh, that they they basically ran out of them at the one trade show that they were at because people wanted them so, because it was different. And it's not just the same Boy. kind of uh, tchotchke that you're giving out. Oh, that's... That It's something that it's meaningful. It's telling their story. And that's what I love at the end here. Let me see if I can write this. They have – uh he says these so lots of characters that they have they actually have some stuffed animals and things like this around it too but they eric says these characters don't represent our brand but they are a way to tell our stories in a complex and interesting way we've got a number of major shows coming up and soon we'll be able to put some hard ROI numbers to them so they're going to write a whole series of of kids books or it looks like kid book kids books but for adults Around this whole golden book. If thing. they
0: can create, I don't know, and, and and I'm taking this. I'm assuming that this is their goal, but 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 and and maybe putting words in their mouth. So apologies if I am. But if they can take something that is complex as what they do, and I actually know what they do because I've i i I know the company. If they can take something as com- and and. And the practitioners of that in brands who actually have to make, you know, the, the related content and what they do and data and connecting all of those things and e-commerce and those things, which is a highly complex job. And we all struggle with this as sort of, you know, I mean, it, it's been, you know, telling our moms, telling our, uh, our sisters, brothers, our kids what we do for a living. If they could make a book that is compelling enough for parents to read to their kids so that explains what they do for a living, what they do for a job, but also makes it engaging enough for that child to want to listen to that story as a bedtime that, – that's something
1: huge. That is just – that is wonderful. See, I, this is the first one. So I have it in my hand. I'm holding it right now. Taming the Digital Marketing Beast. But on the inside back cover, it says, how many of these telium books have you read? And I know they haven't produced these yet, but these are some great t- titles. Of Tags and Men, Ziggity Zaggity, Quickity Taggity. Oh, my God. Mr. Tag, You're It. That's Margaret fantastic. and the Holy Grail of Marketing. Uh, you know, Ones and Zeros Are our Heroes. I mean, it just... <laughs>
0: That's these wonderful. are fantastic. That's just it's wonderful. really
1: quite creative. That is Hats wonderful. off to Eric and the team over absolutely. there, and uh, I hope we see some uh, some return
0: on this because I like what they're doing. Oh, Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, what's uh, what are your New Year's plans?
1: Uh, we so we have a group of friends that we go out with not on New Year's Eve but on New Year's Eve Eve. Uh so we've been doing <laughs> that for quite genius. a few quite a That's few years genius. where yeah we'll go out we'll go, we're going out to a to an awesome dinner fun dinner uh we're going to go out bowling and we'll do some other things as well uh but it's it's good time we've been doing it for many years and it's just fantastic and then we can just stay home around with the kids on New Year's Eve and, and where it's amateur time and we could stay out of the fray, so very nice. Well, how, very how about nice. yourself? Any good plans? We
0: don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't make any big plans on New Year's Eve. We we always have. We also have a tradition here, which is to basically do a very very quiet, wonderful dinner here at home on New Year's Eve, where we stay up and we drink champagne and we see. You know, we basically stay in, um, and then we go out on New Year's Day actually and either go to the beach or do a lunch out or do a big you know a big shindig with with people out. Um, on New Year's Day, usually out at the beach, we try and do the beach on, on New Year's Day. Which, That's so
1: you know, odd. I mean, just hearing you say you're at the <laughs> beach on New Year's Day, like sometimes we went and walked it's, on the ice. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean,
0: here's the thing about LA, it, it, and this is sort of a, a weird sort of just truism about Los Angeles. Every single New Year's Day that I can ever remember in Los Angeles is a gorgeous day. It's always 68 or 70 degrees, sun shining, brilliant clear. it's just it's weird. It's like New Year's Day is always a gorgeous day here in Southern California.
1: And it's almost never the case here in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> Although I this is the first December I can remember that we haven't had much snow. I there mean, we'd maybe had an inch of snow in December and it's just yesterday yeah. was beautiful, it's like 55 degrees. So It
0: may be coming. It may be coming. Uh yeah. <laughs> it, it's always coming. We just don't know when so. winter is coming. Winter is coming. Well, happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you, my friend. All right, folks, that is it for Joe Polizzi This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, tweet us up. Give us those ideas. Let us know what you think about um, all of the uh, transcriptions or those sorts of things at hashtag This Old Marketing. Um, And, you know, keep sending those story ideas, folks. They are so appreciated. Um, And if you like email as a a medium here, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 59, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or stitcher.com. All those links and everything we talked about here will be in the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. And I do hope you'll turn in next week for our first show of 2015 where you'll hear Joe say, what did you mean by that reference to Chewbacca? Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.